You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. For Christ followers, the end is actually the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning. And when we, it's when we start our existence with Jesus. No more pain, no more sorrow, only joy and happiness. But it's joy and happiness in its purest form. That is the hope. That's the basis for our faith. The basis for our faith is not the here and now. It's what happens after we physically die here on earth. So last week we learned that the end actually begins with what we call the return. The return of Jesus, where he comes for his followers. Christians will immediately be transformed and taken to heaven, which is what we, which is known as the rapture. And then comes the reunion, where we will be with God forever. And so that was essentially the, the things we looked at last week. For the followers of Jesus, we really have nothing to fear, but a great future to look forward to. Paul, as he wrote in his letter to the Thessalonians, we should encourage one another with these words. So this is an encouraging topic and conversation. It shouldn't be one that brings us fear and anxiety. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go to our website and you can download the sign. Actually, because I, I thank you for that. It's not there. So I need to actually go back and chew on somebody and say, why isn't it there? It's supposed to be there. So, uh, Give me 24 hours and then it'll be there. But I encourage you to go back and listen just to bring you up to speed as to kind of where we're at. So today as we continue with the end, um, we're going to give attention to your end. So here's the thing. Whether or not you are still here on earth when Jesus returns or if your life here ends before then, each of us, is facing that time of transition. Each of us is facing that end. The end is coming for each one of us. In Revelations 22, it's kind of where we're taking our thought for the day. John, who wrote the book, he says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is, these are the words of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come to this point in our time of worship and our time of rejoicing in what you're doing, it's a time for us to explore your word, to understand a little bit more about what you've told us and how you revealed yourself in Scripture. So, Lord, help me to communicate in ways that are helpful. Lord, I pray that, that people hear what they need to hear. Holy Spirit, that you would do what you desire in these next few minutes that we're together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So according to the Christian faith, salvation is based upon grace through faith. Okay, that's a fairly common understanding. God's grace is extended to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we put our faith in him, we are made right with God. Um, a few weeks ago, I shared the analogy of, like, in, in the medieval time period, we have kings and queens, you know, roaming around Europe, and, and you could be the most, the wealthiest landowner, business person, but if you did not have royal blood in you, you were still secondary 
and that and within the scheme of things. You could be the the worthless, no good for nothing cousin to the king, but because you had royal blood running through your veins, you had more authority and power in the realm. My point was that when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, there's a blood transfusion that occurs within us. So we have the blood of Christ. We are no longer having to work to achieve and attain salvation. We have it by virtue of the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters of the king. So that's the point. You know, I want to establish that first. You cannot earn your way into heaven. It's not possible. Doing good on earth will not get you entry into heaven. But, as we've learned here in the verse, or as we're going to explore a little bit further, it's an important to understand that while good works will not earn you entry into heaven, your good works will, in fact, determine how you will be rewarded in heaven. Let me say that again. So while your good works won't get you into heaven... Your good works will determine how you will be rewarded once you get there. So while, uh, while we were in, living in Southern California, so a few years back, I, I got called for jury duty. And uh, unlike many people I hear talk about, I really wanted to get on a jury. I just, you know, besides being, I, I think it's part of our civic duty. I just think that's part of what makes our country work. The other part of that, I just think it would be cool. I mean, to actually sit on a, on a jury. And so first time I'd ever been called, you know, to, to actually, and I actually got, I was able to sit on the jury. I actually, I actually, I got to be the, the foreman of the jury, which was really cool. I was really excited about that. I didn't get to read the verdict at the end, though. The bailiff did. I was really disappointed. I was looking for my moment to, uh, you know, in the movies, you know, the, the, yeah, that didn't happen. But anyway, so I got to be on you know, this jury, and it was a criminal case. Depending upon our decision, this person was either going to go free or spend many, many, many years in jail. And I remember it vividly as, you know, as the jury were, you know, we come to a decision, we're walking back into the courtroom, and I remember making eye contact with the defendant and, and his attorney, and they were riveted to the jury. I mean, and I also looked at the prosecutor. I mean, everyone was looking at us, just, just tr they were trying to get a read as to what we decided. So before anything was even read, they're trying to read body language, smiles, or, you know, where we, you know, just trying to get a sense of that. And I realized at that moment, what a terrible position to be in as a defendant. Because, you know, the, the prosecutors laid out their case, and the defendant has laid out their case. And you don't know which way it's going to go. You hope it's going to go one way, but you just don't know. Your life literally is hanging in the balance. You're being judged, and you don't know which way it's going to go. What a terrible position to be in. So here's the thing, though. We are going to be judged, but the Bible gives us all kinds of stuff, all kinds of information that helps us understand what the outcome of that verdict is going to be ahead of time. So we don't have to wait and wonder and hope and anxiety, wondering what that outcome will look like, what that outcome will be. <laughs> Jesus said he was coming back, and when he returns, there will be two different judgments 
that will happen at two different times. And so we're going to look at those two uh, this morning. The first judgment is known as the judgment seat of Christ. So first we'll talk about what is the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to talk about when will it actually happen. The judgment seat of Christ, we first learn of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's why it's referred to the judgment seat of Christ, because that's that's how it's read there. That each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So the judgment is for believers. Now, again, it's not a judgment for salvation. They're already saved. They're already in heaven, if you will. So it's not a judgment for salvation or damnation, but it's a judgment for rewarding Christ followers for all the good works they have done while on earth. Why do we think this? Because the word that's used there for judgment or the judgment seat um, is actually uh, the word. It's a Greek word called bema. And it's, it's in, the, the bema is not where a judge sits in, in to give a decision, a judgment, whether someone's right or wrong, guilty or not guilty. The word they're used there is in reference to the Greek Olympics. It's a Greek word, but it's in reference to the Olympics. It's where the king bestows honors on those who win the races. And so when you're before the Bema seat of Christ, it's for rewards, not judgment. <clears throat> It's not a time of condemnation, but rather it's a time of rewards. Um, when our, our kids were in high school, their senior year, our, local, our high school and our community, there's all kinds of local scholarships available for kids for graduating seniors. Um, the Kiwanis Club and all these other different civic organizations and even some of the local businesses would give scholarships to students who are graduating. So you apply <laughs> Betsy had writer's cramp. Uh, I think just for all these different applications were filling out, and, um, and the kids were filling out and writing essays. And there's pro- a dozen, two dozen. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different scholarship applications. Here's the thing. They don't tell you immediately if you won or not. You actually get a letter in the mail that says you have won an award. Come to the awards night thing. So you show up knowing you've got at least one. But you don't know if it's a $50 scholarship or if it's a $5,000 scholarship. You don't know if it's one scholarship or 10 scholarships. So everyone is, you know, every time they come out, here's this scholarship, and we applied for that. And so you're waiting, waiting. Ah, we didn't get it. Um, Or you hear your child's name called, and it's like, yes, there's $1,000 less than we have to uh, deal with for college. And all these different things. But there was such, it was such a fun night. And... You know, you know, you're hoping, you know, you know, your child got at least one scholarship, and you're, you know, obviously hoping for more. You're hoping actually for a lot, Ben. You know, but it's just one of these things where it's just an exciting time to be there. I imagine this judgment seat of Christ is the same thing. We know, we, we know, we're getting rewards. I just wonder what, how many, and what they will look like, and what, what, how, how good will this situation be? So, when will this occur? Is another question we should ask. We believe that the judgment seat of Christ will follow the resurrection of believers. We talked about, you know, the, the Jesus returns, the rapture. And so the, the, 
this is, the idea is that it happens immediately following the resurrection of the believers. And we, we base the timing for this event on a very small verse in the book of Luke. And Jesus is talking to his followers, and he's saying to them, when you have a dinner party, don't just invite your family and friends and rich neighbors and people. He said, because they can repay you for your generosity. They can, you know, in turn, throw their own party and invite you back, and so they can repay you. Instead, invite the, and actually, let me read it here exactly what he said. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then, and in, in this is in Luke chapter 14, in verse 14, he says, And then they cannot repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus is making this connection to this time period that you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so that's why we believe it happens at that point in time. So, for me, another question that comes up is, how will we be rewarded? And we're not entirely sure. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of description as to what this ceremony looks like. How many of you have been to a high school graduation or a college graduation where there's individual recognition? Okay, most of you. <laughs> No, no, no. I'm sorry. You, you're the, I'm, I'm, just trying, I'm trying to say how to say this next statement without coming across a little too critical. They're, they're not always that exciting, are they? I mean, you've got a speaker. Sometimes the speaker is great. But you can sit for hours waiting for your child to cross the stage. Or what's worse, your child's at the front. And now you've got to, you're done, basically. And you've still got to sit for hours waiting for everyone else's child to cross the stage. I don't think heaven's, the judgment seat, I don't think it's going to be like that. You know, what can you imagine? Millions of people are now crossing the stage getting their thing. Yeah. We could be there for years. Uh, um, I don't think it'll be like that, but uh, I, like to think, I, I, <laughs> I like to think about things like that. So <laughs> We will have time, won't we? So every believer will be rewarded according to their good works while living out their faith life here on earth. So whatever it looks like, it's a very positive time. It's an exciting time. It's one that uh, is full of joy. So another question that I ask, and this is, what kind of rewards will we get? It talks about have receiving rewards. Well, what kind of rewards? Well, we don't have, again, we don't have a lot of information. The Bible's not really specific about that. The Bible, though, does mention five different crowns. And so if um, one of the crowns we know about will be, if I can get that up, the incorruptible crown for those who run a faithful race. So if you've been faithful and following Christ, then your faithfulness is rewarded with a crown called the incorruptible crown, incorruptible crown. All right. Another crown is the crown of rejoicing for those who share their faith. So those of you who have evangelistic giftings and are sharing your faith, there's a special crown just for you. So it talks about that as a unique crown and a distinct crown of reward for those who share their faith. Three, the crown of righteousness for those who long for Christ's returning. An interesting crown. 
But for those people who are pointing to the day and waiting for that day and looking for that day, actually get and receive a crown. Fourth, this is my favorite, actually. First Peter 5, it talks about a crown of glory for faithful pastors. Um, so I get, I get a crown. I think that's pretty cool. Um, just for being that. And then lastly, fifth, there's a crown. talks about the crown of life for those who suffered for their faith and endured hardships for Christ's sake. So those who have struggled on earth, who've had a hard time, who are martyred, who died for their faith, receive the crown of life at this judgment seat of Christ. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. This is not one of those times where you're going to be walking around heaven with your crown thinking I'm something. Look at my, I've got, I've got four crowns and you only got three, you know, and I mean, yours is even barely a crown. It's more of a tiara. I mean, so our band or headband. So look at mine. It's not going to be like that. And here's why I can say that in Revelations chapter four, it's talking about the 24 elders and there's a lot of speculation as to who they actually are. But the point is this, these elders receive their crowns and immediately take these crowns and they lay them at the feet of Jesus. This is not one of these moments where we're going to walk around with pride and, and ego. This is one of those moments where we realize that we're receiving a crown from the one who received and wore a crown of thorns. And because of his sacrifice, because of his gift, we have this opportunity. I have a hunch that we will probably all be just like these 24 elders, that immediately upon receiving our crowns, we're going to turn around and just lay it right at the feet of Jesus because he has earned and deserves our worship, all recognition, and all acknowledgement of our glory. In your um, worship guide is actually we've, we've, we've inserted kind of what we refer to as a suggested timeline. Wars have been fought um, over these kind of things. Um, literally, um, there have been theological schisms and div divisions as to what people believe. Here's a suggested timeline as to how we think this might happen. Jesus Christ returns for his church. The dead in Christ rise first, and Christians are alive, who are alive are raptured. Believers are rewarded, which is what we just talked about, the judgment seat of Christ. And then actually begins what we call the seven-year tribulation and the revealing of the Antichrist. Now, this is the part, if you were here last week, we talked about this outline here suggests a pre-tribulation rapture. But there's also a mid-tribulation rapture perspective that also has biblical basis for thinking that. That suggests it actually comes halfway through the seven-year period. So that's three and a half years, then it comes the rapture. Then there's also a post-tribulation rapture theory that says that after the seven-year period of tribulation is when the return of Jesus happens. Um, and then there's the fourth one I talked about, the, remember last, the pan-tribulation? Or we don't know when it's going to happen. We just know it'll all pan out in the end. That's kind of how we, we say that. So. Um, so that's where there's some discrepancy and discussions as to, but as we're laying out our outline, we think there's a, there's significant biblical basis to believe that that this is a reasonable time frame um, and sequence for how things will happen. Following the seven-year tribulation is the Battle of Armageddon that's talked about, where evil and righteousness battle, and Jesus wins. We know that righteousness wins out, and Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit. 
Christ then returns with the church. So he comes back. So this actually, you know, Jesus actually returns three times. The initial coming as an infant, the second return for his church, and then he comes back a third time with his church for a thousand-year reign. And then lastly is referred to as the great white throne judgment for those who have rejected Christ. And that's actually the second judgment that I want to uh, take a few minutes and look at here. Um, so we've got the, uh, the uh, judgment seat of Christ as the first judgment. The great white throne judgment is the final judgment. Christ's followers will not be a part of this judgment. In the book of Revelation, John describes the judgment, this judgment as seen in the vision. And so in Revelations chapter 20, then I saw a great white throne and, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from its presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was, is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Go ahead to the next one. Not that that's irrelevant, but it's, it, uh, verse 15, halfway through. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The judgment, this final judgment, the great white throne judgment, is not for Christians, but for everyone who has, who has chosen to reject Jesus Christ provision of salvation. I mentioned in an earlier sermon that our culture tends to fixate on this idea of fairness. <clears throat> and the idea that God would send someone to hell is deemed as an unfair act. In fact, it is the basis for many people rejecting the Christian faith entirely. How could a good God send someone to hell? And they said, if that's your position, we can't accept any of that. They just reject Christianity outright. The problem with that argument is that it's based upon the idea that heaven is the default destination for all of us. In other words, the, that position maintains that everyone should go to heaven. Thus, the act of rejecting some people over others is seen as unfair. I would agree with the idea that God is unfair, However, I would flip it around a little differently. In contrast, I would suggest that hell is the default destination for all of us. All of us deserve death and eternal damnation. None of us deserve the grace that has been so freely given to us. And yet, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is made available to us through faith, we are given eternal life. We are invited to spend eternity with him. We are rewarded for our life here on earth. Is that fair? No. We don't get what we deserve. Have you ever known somebody or read an account of someone who, who, was, who was guilty of some action of crime but, didn't, but got off scot-free, who got away with it? That, that's a terrible thing. We look at that as unfairly. That's what's happening to us. We deserve death. We deserve judgment. 
But yet, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the provision he's given us, we can escape that judgment. Is it fair? No. Is it just? Yes, because of the provision that God has given us. Through his grace, he provides the way of salvation. And in his justice, he will then judge those who have rejected his provision and choose their own way. So for those who reject God, they will be eternally separated from God and they will have to endure a place of suffering and torment forever. So what do we do with that? What do, if this is what we're talking about, we have a judgment where we know the judgment seat of Christ where there's rewards and then there's the great final judgment where those who haven't followed Jesus Christ are going to be judged. How, how, does, how should that affect us here and now? Two final thoughts as I wrap up. One is live with endurance, knowing that your labor is not in vain, but reward is coming. Um, I, I remember hearing the story of Winston Churchill. Um, he was asked to give a commencement speech at a college or a university. And this was toward the end of his life, and he could barely stand and make it to the stage. But he got up there, and uh, you know, he, said not, he only said nine words, as opposed to an hour-long speech. Nine words. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And he turned around and went back and sat down. That would be my encouragement to you. Don't give up. So that's one thought. Secondly, live with the end in mind. The point in this series, the end, is not about providing us with some kind of formula for understanding the future. The point of all this is that we don't need to be afraid of death. We don't need to be afraid of what's to come. Whatever, here, here's the thing, whatever you fear will control you. If you're afraid of flying, you don't travel long distances. If you're afraid of heights, you don't do certain things. If you're afraid, your fears literally will control your life. Well, here's, here's the thing. If you're afraid of death, it will control you as well because Death also has friends, stress, anxiety, depression. All of these play into our lives. And so if you're afraid of what's to come, that affects everything else. The point of what we're, this whole series is that we don't need to be afraid. But what's coming is joyful. As Christ followers, the last thing we should fear is death. Paul, in one of his last words, in his last words to the, the Philippians, he said, to live is Christ, to die is, you know this, to die is gain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as, um, we've taken some time to look at this section and look at this idea of judgments and what they come. I'm conscious, Father, that there's some here who are, are very comfortable with where they stand today, and they're very encouraged by um, what's to come. Um, I'm also aware that there's probably some who, although they know that they're following you and they know that their salvation is secure, they have fear about what's to come simply because of it, it's an unknown. They don't, they, because we don't know it, because we can't control it, um, 
we have fears and anxieties. Lord, my prayer is for those that this day, this moment, Lord, that that fear, that anxiety, that stress be replaced by peace and comfort and strength. And Father, I'm aware that there may also be people here this morning who have really no certainty as to what judgment they will face. Whether it's a judgment before you for rewards or whether it's a judgment of damnation. They hope for the rewards, but they're not sure. Father, my prayer is that they would not leave this room today without being sure. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Convict us where there needs to be conviction. Encourage and comfort where there needs to be encouragement and comfort. With heads still bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask, if, if you were in that last group I just mentioned, where you're not sure about where, where your eternity will be, whether you'll be receiving rewards or judgment, um, I would love just the opportunity just to acknowledge that with you, um, and I, just to maybe a chance to even pray with you. We're going we're gonna to have a chance to pray in just a minute as a group. Uh, but just signify to me of your decision that you want to this day, you want to live for Christ, you want to make that decision secure, not just so that your eternity is secure, but that it affects how you live your life today and tomorrow and this week. If you would look at me and just let our eyes meet, and I can put your heads down. All right, thank you. Thank you. All right. Heavenly Father, um, uh, so those of you who just looked up at me and our eyes met, just pray. You can pray to yourself, but pray with me. Everyone can pray with me if uh, just want to pray. But I'm gonna, uh, Lord, I we come to you this day, and uh, our desire is to live for you, not just that our our eternity is secure, but Lord God, that our lives would be living for you as well. So Father, take my heart this day. Lord, I want to surrender it to you. May you be Lord of my life in every area of my life. May I look to you for direction. May I look to you for strength, for support and encouragement instead of other places. Father, may I be your true disciple this day. Father, all of us, that's our prayer. And our our desire is to continue to reaffirm that with you day by day. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to your purposes here and now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.